Hey everyone, welcome to episode four of our second season here on the Abstract Podcast. Today on the show, Colin sits down with Chris Stratton. He is the Director of Spiritual Formation here at Toccoa Falls College and has a really great conversation about spiritual formation, grace, some other great things. Any Mm -hmm. comments on that real quick, Colin? No, it was great sitting down with him and talking through. It's been something that I've been thinking and reading a lot about lately, so it's great to kind of process. Felt like it was very helpful for me as well just to hear him. So I think you'll enjoy the interview. Sure. That's coming up in just a few seconds. Before we get there, Colin, have you seen or read anything noteworthy lately? Oh, man. Um, Okay, let me think here. Read... Let's just do scene first. Sure. Scene. Um, my wife and I watched a movie this week, um, which was a, just a fun little watch. It's called uh, Paddington. Mm-hmm. It's if the you're bear. looking, yeah, the little animated bear in real time setting movie. Not anyway, Ted. yeah, no, it's not. It's definitely not. Ted. <laughs> um, bear. But yeah, if you want to, like, it was just. It's a really fun little watch. Um, very family friendly. If you're wanting to watch it with kids, it'd be a great one. But like, cool. I, I appreciate it. Like, it's it's super well done, and that's not always in a kid's film. Sure. So I was, I, I thought that was great. Right on. Um, what about you? My film class got to go to the Habersham Theater and see The Godfather on Wednesday. That was super cool. The Godfather is like, made in the late 70s, considered one of the best films of all time by a lot of people, and I uh, finally got to see it. It was really cool. I would recommend. So both of those movies we recommend to you. Yes. Um, as always, we are sponsored by Hershberger's Bakery. That's right. This morning, me and Colin walked into Hershberger's Bakery, and we got the loaf of bread, mm-hmm. which was delivered to Chris Stratton, and mm-hmm. he loved it. I mean, he loved getting it. I don't know if he loved it. I'm yeah, sure, I'm sure, I'm sure love he it. loved it. Yeah, yeah. You can't go wrong with And Colin grabbed a donut. Yeah, so go get a donut there. I had one this morning. It was super good. And the cool thing about Hershberger's Donuts is they're so big, you about can't eat one in one setting. You can yeah. have it for two settings. <laughs> two settings, for um, sure. Yeah, but they sell out really quick, uh, especially if you look at their latest Google review. A lady came in at 1 o'clock. There was nothing there because they sell out really fast because it's super delicious food. So go yeah. to Hershberger's and buy a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I walked in there last Saturday to get some bread and a donut and they were literally sold out of every single product they have that's baked like they were sold out so and it's not because they don't work hard john's no, no. up all night baking stuff <laughs> they have a lot of stuff and it's really good it's just because that's good it's it sells yeah, out so fast their stuff is good and yeah. it sells out so with that being said hope you enjoy colin's interview with chris stratton Professor Stratton, it is an honor to have you here on the Abstract Podcast. Thank you very much for coming on with us. Thank you. Glad to be here. Appreciate the opportunity. It's an honor for me. Yeah, well, um, I'll start off by asking you a question that I heard from some of my classmates back when we started um, not calling chapel chapel, um, but calling it community worship. Mm-hmm. Um, and we switched, instead of calling it Barnabas groups, it's now, um, is it transformation, transformation groups? groups uh-huh. Yeah. What was a little bit of the thought behind like changing? Because that's a lot of that, that's a lot of your pool in this area. It is. It is. Yeah. You know, when I got here five years ago, um, um, people were quite used to talking about the chapel experience, and it wasn't always uh, a very positive conversation or a positive experience for for many. And as uh, I began to get a team together and we began to explore what we wanted it to be for the future, um, we just kind of grappled with the fact that. Um, you know, we are a confessional school, which means, you know, you, for the most part, profess Christ to, mm-hmm. to come here. And therefore, when we gather together, um, we gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And therefore, the central practice that we ought to be doing together is worshiping and learning to practice community worship together. Um, and so that was the reason that we, we moved uh, in that direction in terms of changing the language. We, we just really wanted to say this is not a chapel experience. Um, it's, it's not a, um, a kind of, uh, uh, just a, an ordinary chapel observance that because we're brothers and sisters in Christ, it's worship that we ought to be practicing together. And therefore we wanted to be explicit with that. We wanted to be explicit with the fact that when the body of Christ gathers, um, the spirit is right at the heart of that, that, that gathering. And our purpose for gathering together is to retell the story of scripture, um, and to, to find our lives new and fresh as, it, as it's intersecting with the story of Scripture and uh, responding to God's invitation to, uh, to, 
to be involved in that. And so discerning is at the heart of that experience. And so community worship is a direction, not just in terms of nomenclature, but it's a direction that we really wanted to, to learn how to practice together. And so that was that. Um, Barnabas groups is something that we call our small groups, and there's nothing wrong with the Barnabas groups. But if we're gathering together, you know, each each week to um, to practice community worship, to find our place in the story, and to respond faithfully to, to, to being a part of that story, then we need smaller groups um, of people uh, where we come together and, and work out what that looks like. And, um, you know, at the heart of the gospel, um, uh, as well as at the heart of spiritual formation, is, is transformation mm-hmm. into the image of Christ. And so these transformation groups are groups where we come together um, to, um, to be able to discern what God's up to in our lives and then together provide a supportive community uh, where through reading scripture together, practicing prayer together, being involved in mission together, um, these things become the uh, the practices that help us discern God's work in our lives. And um, and then the, the supportive community comes around to help one another learn what it means to be faithful to that to individually, but really faithful to that together. And so, so transformation and uh, the presence of the spirit community, that those were really the key things that were driving some of those changes. Sure. No, that's great. And that that provides a great segue into what we're going to be talking about today, because your title is Director of Spiritual Formation. Is that correct? It is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we're talking about, spiritual formation, um, which really is talking about transformation. And mm-hmm. it, in, in a lot of ways, it's answering the question, how do people change um, or how are people transformed mm-hmm. um, into the image of Christ? So uh, first off, what got you in to the studies of spiritual formation, what was it about this topic that interested you? Because um, you've been studying it for a, a long time. It's one of your, it's something you've put a lot of time into. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, you know, um, I did not, uh, I didn't go, I didn't do work particularly in the field of spiritual formation. I was always a Bible guy. And so um, working with the languages and working with exegesis and interpretation, um, and teaching those kinds of experiences were, were central to, to me. But I also had a real heart for the church and wanted my work early on to kind of, I want to be able to kind of straddle both worlds, have a foot in the church and have a foot in academics and, and to, to see if there might be something fruitful that would come from, from the intersection of those two. Um, and so um, as I began to really dig in um, to Scripture and the story of Scripture, um, it just began became crystal clear that um, that one of the central works that God was doing in the world was was the actual shaping of a people. And I know you want to talk a little bit about the biblical underpinnings of some of this, so I'll, I'll, I'll just leave it there, was the shaping of a people um, who, um, who would reflect who he is and be a part of what he's doing in the world. Um, and that, that just captured my biblical imagination. And so although I was always doing exegesis with the Greek and with the Hebrew, it was for a, it was for a purpose. It, it wasn't, it was to understand scripture, um, but it really was to come to know God. And in coming to know God, um, learning what it looks like and what the scriptures teach about how we do that mm-hmm. and how at the heart of that is a kind of submission yielding to God, uh, whereby it really does transform us as people. And I use the word people because God's interested in transforming a people, not just an individual. Mm-hmm. He really is interested in doing that. And so all of my biblical work drove me to beyond a careful reading of Scripture to saying, well, what would it look like to live into what Scripture itself is bearing witness to? Mm-hmm. And and that's just always been a passion of mine and something that um, that drives me pretty much each and every day. Yeah, that's great. Um so spiritual formation, especially probably in the last, mm-hmm. what could you say, 30 or 40 years, has received um, more attention and growth with the work of Richard Foster, Dallas yeah. Willard, yeah. Um, even like a Henry Nouwen. Yep. Um, so it, it's come, it's been a thing that's coming more to the church's forefront of their attention and recognizing that this is an important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it about spiritual formation that you think has gravitated the church towards it at this point? in time. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's something we can thank the Catholics for. Let's just be honest. I know the Catholics get a bad name a lot of time in evangelical circles or in right. fundamentalist <laughs> ones. So, But we can thank the Catholics for this because it was really Vatican II 
back in 1959 when the Pope said we need to uh, we, we, we need to engage in the kind of discussions and in the kinds of research that will lead to the reviving of the church and also help those folks who have walked away from the Catholic Church um, be able to come back in some way in terms of uh, in terms of unity and so Vatican II was a was a big thing and and it's really the Catholics who put kind of the spiritual formation um, word if you will right, right, uh, yeah. in view um, and that was a revival of, of sense because um, a lot of the mainline Protestant denominations began to pick up on on the classics of the church um, um, a number of ca- ca- the Catholic classics of, of the church. Um, and so that's where we began to see it move within mainline denominations. And then in evangelicals began to pick up on that as mm-hmm. well um, so that they were all reading a lot of the same stuff. And there was this revival, if you will, of, uh, of, of, um, of spiritual formation. Now, it was part of a larger revival. Back then is when when uh, there was a, a an interest in being spiritual, right? Sure, yeah. Um, and uh, which which led, you know, in the 70s and even into the 90s of kind of the full flowering of the New Age movement, right? Um, yeah, most popularly seen in the Oprah Winfrey show and uh, continuing in some of those kinds mm-hmm. of things. So there was this there was this greater desire um, culturally for mm-hmm. something more spiritual, um, but from the Catholic Church in and through the mainline denominations and then through evangelicalism was not just this idea of being spiritual and not being religious, but really getting back to the traditions of the church in terms of what it meant to practice those disciplines in life that God used by his grace um, to to shape us um, and help bring us out of our brokenness into wholeness. And so um, so, yeah, it has been uh, since about the 19, late 1950s, kind of a, a renewal movement around this. And as you mentioned, Richard Foster was a big, big one in that. Celebration right. of Discipline was huge in all of that. His books on uh, the spiritual disciplines, also huge. Um, he was very influential with Dallas Willard, who mm-hmm. we've talked about before, and was very influential within the evangelical world of, of, of moving this idea of spiritual formation um, forward. Um, they were instrumental in developing Renovare, which was a, right. a whole experience mm-hmm. around this, which really was focused on the presence of God. Um, but they also were um, a catalyst for other more conservative evangelical types. Um, to explore this as well. Now, they, they weren't as keen about just embracing everything within the overall tr- Christian tradition, right. particularly the Catholic tradition when it came to spiritual direction and, and uh, contemplative prayer. But oh, it, okay. was, it really did push them, though, to say, well, we, we do, though, need to get back to this as well because this kind of formation is central to the yeah. gospel. And so theirs was a bit more weighted to well, what does Scripture itself teach about these practices? Uh, what does it teach about them? How can we live into it? Um, of course, they were operating un, un, under models that were um, more committed to, to biblical inerrancy and, and other kinds of theological positions. But it really, it really has been a renaissance, if you will, yeah. of, of spiritual formation kinds of uh, discussions. Now, the latter people that I talk about are, are much more... Um, Probably overall, I would say they're much more comfortable with keeping the discipleship mm-hmm. terminology as, as opposed to spiritual formation. And I would be, too. I mean, if five years ago coming here, if I'd had my chance to change it, I would have called it Christian formation. Because it's not just spiritual formation. It's a specific kind of Christian formation um, that's different, say, than maybe other types of spiritualities out there. And I do think that's an important label. Discipleship. Christian formation, spiritual formation, rightly understood. I'm, I'm happy with all of them. Right. Spiritual formation, the, the one thing, like you can sometimes get into a, a Gnostic mindset with it where you're trying to get out of your body to have this type of experience. And, and Christian spiritual formation is more of a calling into a deep sense of uh, um, presence in the, in the moment. Um, it is, yeah. And being aware of the presence of God all around you. Absolutely embodied. Yeah. And embodied also as we talk about the body in terms of the church communally embodied. Yeah, those are those are things that are key to Christian formation that are really important yeah. when you get down to what it, what it's about. Right. And and you talked a little bit about the the rise um because that's one question I have. Like what is it about the Christian spiritual formation movement that sets it aside from how a lot of what we would 
quote-unquote call either spiritual or interpersonal studies have been on the rise with um, just the rise in the popularity of like personality theories um, the Enneagram being the chief one of that um, also just like pop psychology or even someone like Jordan Peterson mm-hmm. um, has a lot to do with with this is an in, a topic that interests a lot of people in, in interpersonal and yeah. psychological ways um, and a lot of what spiritual formation has to do with is the formation of an inner character that mirrors what mm-hmm. Christ's inner character would be. Um, but what is it about this Christian spiritual formation movement that sets it apart from other more popular level um, interpersonal or psychosocial kind of yeah, studies? I, I think I, th- I think just just very basically, I would say that um, I find I find a lot of the pop spirituality to be incredibly individualistic. Um, it, it also is something that, that tends to be the, uh, about the business of helping the human spirit to flourish. Um, and then I guess the last thing I would say about it, and it seems to serve individualistic kinds of purposes. Now, I'm, I'm being very broad and, and very generic and stereotypical, so I, I don't mean to, but those are kind of the, I would say, the broad sweep for, for me. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a very individual kind of journey. Um, it couldn't be more different than, than Christian formation. Um, Christian formation um, f- functions, yes, personally. I mean, mm-hmm. the personal is there, but it's within the context of, of, of a group of people. Um, personal but never private. That's right. That's, okay. that's right. Personal but never private. And, and actually, th- there's a relational formation that's going on in Christian formation that is absolutely essential for the person. Um, uh, you, you can't take it. You can't take it. Take those two apart, if you will, in the Christian vision. Um, also, in the Christian vision, it's less about my human spirit and about the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit coming to inhabit a person, and that Holy Spirit beginning to um, um, to enable that person to operate in the sphere of the Holy Spirit, where within the context of a community, whereby. That spirit can actually transform us uh, into the to, into the image of, of Christ, um, and that image of Christ, uh, as well, a, a personal kind of way of understanding what God's doing, but also a corporate mm-hmm. one. Is maybe we'll talk about a little bit later, um, and so th- that's another difference uh, with with this. Um, it's it's a journey that we're on together and that we contribute to because again we're we're the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, who are operating with Jesus as our head, and we're all being formed and shaped into our head. So this is something that we we do, um, and something that I can't do without we doing, uh, if you will. And so I think those are some some really key distinguishing points between a lot of what I read in terms of pop spirituality, um, and uh, and and more so Christian formation. And the last thing I'll say is this: I think this is why the spiritual and not religious thing has taken shape because it's something that just is individual. Right. But the Christian can't say that because we can't really pursue formation outside of God's people because that's the way God designed it. And so, um, yeah, we, we we can't talk about this idea of being spiritual without being religious. Um, as long, and I'm, I'm, of course, talking about religious as being the church, right? Uh, which is often they're basically saying I can be religious without being a part of a church, right? It's the me and Jesus. It's movement. the me and Jesus yeah. movement. So yeah, yeah and I, so I just think that I, I, I think it misunders. Well, I, I think they're two, two different kinds of things for the reasons that I mentioned. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, and we've kind of we started getting into it a little bit, but let's just go and talk through how do we understand this from a you know, what is it about the biblical writers mm-hmm. that how they write about what we use as terminology of spiritual formation? Um, what for you, um, how do you think through that in regards to what the scripture writers have to say with how people change, with what, you know, obviously the, the term spiritual formation isn't in the scriptures. Um, but what is it about the scriptures that you're pulling from? Yeah, um, you know, I think it's always helpful for me to get the big picture. Um, there, are, there are all kinds of passages that we could go to to, to begin to lay, to lay this out and to ground it in, in, in the biblical story and in the biblical writings. But, but for me, looking at it, looking at it from above is, is also helpful. You know, when, when, God, when God created the world and when God created human beings, he created them in his image, which meant that um, there, was, there was something about them that was like him, 
but also they were going to play a role in the world. They were supposed to steward creation in God's kind of way so that um, they could create culture that honored him and a culture then that would flourish because it honors him, that kind of thing. And sin disrupted all of that. Um, it, uh, it distorted relationships between the humans and God, humans and each other, as well as humans and creation. It, it distorted all of that. And therefore, uh, in a sense, God's vision um, and, and God's, God's plan wasn't thwarted, um, but it was impacted. Um, and so when God began to, to, uh, to introduce the gospel, Paul says that, uh, introduces the gospel into the story, he calls Abraham and Sarah, right? And once again, we see in the biblical story that God isn't just interested in a human being, an individual. He's interested in a people. Um, and as we walk throughout the Old Testament, we learn that God is interested in a people who are going to share his character and people who are going to be about his mission in the world. That's the whole reason, uh, the sole reason that he actually um, called Israel, elected Israel. It's not sure, because yeah. they were great uh, or they were special. Um, no, he was calling them for a purpose. And in and through them, through them displaying his character, through them engaging in his mission, they were going to be his instruments for bringing the Gentiles, the rest of the world, to knowledge of the one true God, relationship with the one true God, and once again a way that God was going to restore his, his rule mm -hmm. upon the earth. Well, Israel failed, right? Jesus becomes... Uh, when we come to the New Testament, Jesus becomes the one who steps in, and uh, Jesus is, is, is the one that is faithful to God's call upon Israel that Israel had not been. He, he perfectly represented who God was. He shared the very character of God. New Testament says that he was the very image of God, right? So he shared the very character of God, but he also was faithful to God's mission in the world. And he ended up not only redeeming Israel and restoring them as a people, but also doing the work that was necessary to bring the Gentiles into that fold. Right. And then we've got one more thing that happens then in the story. Once Jesus uh, God the Father accomplishes redemption in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and ascension to the right hand of God. He sends His Spirit once again on a people, right? The Spirit's poured out on a people. These people now, through the power of the Spirit, can share God's character, uh, and they can be in, empowered to be on God's mission in the world in order to continue the ministry of Jesus in the world until that finally comes to a close when Jesus returns. And then... The kingdom of God is consummated upon the earth. Heaven and earth get married, if you will. Mm -hmm. And God sets all things right. All right that, that's, that's basically the biblical story in a nutshell. Um, when we begin to understand that that's what God is up to in the world, then it begins to help us understand um, this business of, of what spiritual formation or Christian formation is about. You know, we think that God is just wanting to forgive us of our sins and, and help us go to heaven when we die. But the biblical story, and then when we do careful readings of Scripture, mm -hmm. we realize that it's more than that, that, that God has done the work to actually begin not only to redeem us, but to restore us and transform us. He does it by the power of His Spirit. And that activity, that work is incredibly important in order for God's redemptive purposes to continue to advance in the world. Uh, because the people of God are not just called to proclaim, we are. Mm -hmm. We've got to proclaim the gospel message. We've got to invite the Gentiles, the nations, uh, which was always his purpose, into this relationship with God where they can be redeemed and restored. But if we miss the fact that the New Testament is also bearing witness to the fact that the Holy Spirit is now working in such a way so that this people, as they proclaim, they're also displaying this new life, this new creational life that the New Testament talks about, we're missing a, a very essential part of, of the gospel, um, not just the gospel story, but, but the gospel embodiment. Right. Those two are always supposed to go together. And so spiritual formation, coming back to your question, is something that involves the sharing of God's character. It's, the, it's this work that God is doing 
in us, in order to shape his character in us, help us to, 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 to come to look like Jesus. But it's, it's, it's also this, some, this something that's, that's out of this transformed life is beginning to reach out in mission to the world with an invitation to come and to be a part of that because God is interested in restoring it all. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and I like what you said, because it makes it, having that understanding makes tremendous impact on the hermeneutics you use when you read the Bible, because you can read like uh, the Sermon on the Mount, for example. Mm-hmm. It can be read if it's more from a truncated version. It can be read as this thing as here is the new law. Obviously, we don't come anywhere close to being this kind of people. Thank God we're saved by grace and we're all good again. Um and it's like once you have the spiritual formation <laughs> piece plugged in there and the work of the Spirit transforming hearts and minds in a corporate sense, individual to a corporate sense, then you read Matthew 5 through 7, Sermon on the Mount, and you see, okay, this is what a kingdom people looks like. Looks like, that's right. And this is what we're trying to live into. And so spiritual formation then is creating this space where you're aware of what God is doing in the world and in your own heart and making an effort in joining in with that work right. and submitting that. Is that, is, is that along the, what, it is. what you're yeah. saying? Yeah. It brings, it, you know, oftentimes when we, uh, when we talk about salvation, and that's a whole other conversation as right. well. Right. <laughs> um, but when we one. talk <laughs> about salvation, discipleship is not central to it. Um, if we get to disciple, yeah, we talk about it, um, but it's not necessarily central. What, what looking at it from the larger biblical story does for us, it, it shows us that discipleship is, is actually salvific. <laughs> um, that, you know, Paul will talk about being saved, but he'll talk about, I'm sorry, he'll talk about being saved. He'll also talk about, I'm in the process of being saved. And he'll right. talk about there's still salvation ahead of us. Um, when we see the biblical story, we recognize that salvation is much larger and our discipleship, our formation into the image of Christ is actually central to that salvation. Um, and, uh, and, and even when we begin to make sense then of what's happening at the final judgment, um, we, when we read carefully, we see that there's something about the quality of our discipleship or the quality of our formation into Christ that is in some way going to impact right. the matter of judgment. That there's an initial justification, but there's also a final one if we read Paul carefully. And that final one does involve transformation. Right. God expects that. Um, we've, we've read the Bible through lenses where we think that he doesn't. But you can't read the New Testament carefully and not see that God actually does expect folks who come to Christ to be transformed into the image of Christ. Because that's, that's our destiny. Right. That's where we're headed. Yeah. And and the great thing about salvation is that God has done the work in Jesus's life, death, resurrection, and ascension, where where we actually can participate in that now because we're living into our future. Right. Yeah. Right. And we're like a signpost of the new creation. Um, I think that's Second Corinthians that talks about that. Um, okay. So you you kind of outlined a little bit how in the old, even from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, there there's two primary purposes in that Jesus calls or God calls a people in the Old Testament that are to be on the mission of God and while they're on the mission of God to be displaying the character of God. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, Dallas Willard has, I mean, he has a whole book about it, The the Great Omission, but basically his thing is in in Jesus' last words to his disciples before his uh, ascension is uh, what we call the Great Commission, go and make disciples. And, And the part he says that we got right is the go and make disciples part, which is an absolutely essential role or like, uh, but go into all the world preaching the gospel, you know, right. and, and uh, especially as evangelicals, we have a high value of mission, which is fantastic. Yep. Um, but he says the great omission from the great commission is that right before that he says, or, or with um, making disciples, he says, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that part is what is the part that we don't often focus on, which is what spiritual formation has a focus in, is be, helping us become the type of people that obey all that Christ asks of us. In, indeed, you know, and going back to your going back to your statement about uh, earlier in Matthew, um, the the Sermon on the Mount. You know, you come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and 
And you've got, uh, you know, Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, <laughs> you're in trouble too, Jesus says at the beginning. Then he comes to the end and he talks about this idea that, that some of you are going to come and talk about how you've known me. You've, you, you say, and, and, and you're going to come and say, I did all these great things. I, I, I prophesied it. I did all these amazing things. But then I come and say, I never knew you, Jesus mm-hmm. says. Depart from me, you evildoer. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a crazy, it's a crazy little passage that people get, well, get a little anxious about. Sure. But even at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is setting forth this, that people who know me are people who do the will of my Father. Right. Knowledge of God, knowledge of the Father, requires one to be o- obedient. This is what he was saying right before the Sermon on the Mount when, the, when the, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes were coming to John the Baptist. And that's why he got on. He said, you brood of vipers. He said, you all, you came to me for, for, for baptism. You all need to understand that repentance, <laughs> you, you need to do works that are worthy of repentance. And Jesus is coming back then and starting on the mount saying, that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying that if you say you know God, then you'll show that you know God by obeying God. You'll bear God's fruit, um, which is another thing that, of course, the Gospel of John, God, John picks up as well. And, you know, Paul does too, but we don't ever associate this with, with the Gospel. At the beginning of, of Romans, he's, he's talking about this as well. Let, let, listen, to, listen to what he says. He says, This is the gospel concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, and then listen, to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for the sake of his name, including yourselves who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. We, we've just, honestly, we've just read the New Testament with different eyes. Yeah. Um, we, have, we have read it in such a way where, yes, obedience is, is important in some way, but for, for some reason we've never connected it with the actual gospel. I want to suggest that Jesus always did. I want to suggest that Paul always did. I want to suggest that John always did. Peter always did. And we can walk throughout the New Testament and see it, but we've just been given different lenses, and, and it's not what we've emphasized. Yeah, and I was thinking about it because I was reading John 14 this week a lot um, in preparation for, for something this Sunday. But And it's Jesus' last discourse with his disciples before you know they head to the garden. But one thing he tells his disciples is, he says, basically, go and do what I did, but go do it better. And better stuff's going to work through that's, you than it was even for me. Stuff. And you read that and you're like, what, how Jesus? can he say that? Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah, um, but it kind of comes back to this idea in that... Uh, you know, th- yes, there's a mission of God for his people, but part of that mission is for them to be transformed into the character of God. And as a yeah. corporate entity throughout the whole world, um, that it's going to look like Jesus and even do stuff better, which almost sounds heretical to say, you know. Well, and, and this is this uh, politically speaking. I mean, this is why this is so important. It means that this idea of what does it does it mean to follow Jesus, to follow him in terms of social justice? Or does, does it have to do with, with this kind of personal piety? Yes is the answer. Right. Yes is the answer. I, I was talking in class this week. We were looking at how oftentimes we think of the word righteousness and we think of the word justice. And in English, they're two different words. Yeah. But in the Greek, they're the same. same yeah. and, and saying, this is what we're saying, that it, it's both. God always desired to have a people who shared his character. There's your piety there, all right? right? Sharing. So it's transformative at the personal level. They share his character, but they're also on his mission. In They're empowered to be on his mission in the world. These things always come together, biblically speaking. I say, although in the modern world we have torn them asunder, if we're going to truly proclaim what God is after in the gospel and what this business of formation mm-hmm. is about, it's going to require for us to bring those things back together. Uh, it's not just social justice or this. It's yes, it's both. Right. Yeah. No. That's that's great. And it. it um, I want to go on a little bit of a tangent here okay. because I think it brings up a tension that probably for many of us raised in um, you know conservative evangelical settings, it, it can raise this tension. Well, aren't we starting to get to where it's a little bit heavy on the works versus grace kind of scale or metric? Um, so talk to that a little bit about how we understand works and grace and how 
spiritual formation ties in to that and yeah. it, it kind of give us a way to think through that okay well you know we uh we're protestants um and i'm i'm a proud protestant mm-hmm. don't don't get me wrong um but in you know semper reformanda we're always reforming and so right. and we go to scripture in order to do so and so i think that's i think that's what we're talking about uh with with all of this but you know one of the things Luther did 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 the church a great service. I mean, yes, there were abuses, there was mm-hmm. stuff going on in the Roman Catholic Church that um, that needed to be challenged from a Roman Catholic priest, and Luther did that. Um, and thank God, not only did it bring the Protestant Reformation, but it reformed the Catholic Church as well. Right. And so God used that in significant ways. One of the things, though, that Luther did in in trying to state emphatically what he was trying to, to, to discuss in terms of what the gospel was about. He, 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 spoke, he spoke in binary kinds of terms um, and really probably to, um, well, uh, it, it, didn't always, it didn't always bear the best fruit, I guess is what I'm saying. And this is what I mean by that. He, drew, he drove a wedge between this idea of grace and works, mm-hmm. right? Um, now, cutting to the heart of the issue, you can read different places in in the New Testament. It's not just a, a you know a verse here and there, um, but you know Paul himself. I mean, one of the classic texts from Ephesians, what chapter two, when he begins to talk about this 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 idea of the gospel, he begins to talk about it in in, in very specific kinds of of terms. Let me just kind of read that passage for us here. Um, when he begins to talk, to talk about what God is, is doing in the gospel, he says this, But God who is rich in mercy, chapter 2, verse 4, But God who is rich in mercy, out of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. All right, classic passage, right? right? Yep. Grace, not works. But we got to read the next verse, right? The next verse, verse 10. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand for us to be our way of life. We, right. we, we leave that off. Right. What, what, Luther, what Luther was doing that was good was the emphasis upon grace. But he took a word like works mm-hmm. and he, 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 he threw it out. Uh, and in throwing it out, uh, he threw out something that was very central to the New Testament record itself, is that we actually were created for, for good works. Sin, though, has distorted that. And, and so in the, the, the gospel, in the work of Christ, God is beginning to set that right again. Um, and therefore, it, it had the unintended impact of, um, of just making us really worried about works and, and worried as if we were always going to, in some way, fall into this trap of trying to work for salvation. Now, I'm going to come back and say one more thing about that, though, and, and that's, that's this. One of the things that historical study, uh, particularly the work of E.P. Sanders in the New Testament, has done within the last 70 years, it's kind of put to rest this idea that Jews in Jesus' day were all trying to work towards their salvation. Right, yeah. Um, that's another conversation as well, but, but it's been put to rest that, that although there may have been segments who saw things in those kinds of ways. That's not the way the Jews were approaching this idea of grace. They were yeah. I they, mean, even the sacrificial system, you know, they recognize a need for atonement and that they can't earn a, a right relationship. There. Pure grace on God's part, right? Yeah, yeah. See, and, and and they understood grace from a covenantal perspective. Um, they knew God's grace because God had been true to covenant, if you will. Um, and so um, this uh, this pitting of grace against good works is is uh, is 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 really um, taking things in a direction that that help 
enables us to misconstrue. Another thing is in Galatians chapter 2 where Paul talks about this, justification, grace works. He doesn't say, the issue is not between, not, you can't be justified by works. That's not what he says. It's the works of the law, right. <laughs> which is a, a, has its own kind of meaning in Paul that's not simply equatable with this idea of trying to work one way, one's way to salvation. And so Luther, in an attempt to, to really emphasize God's grace, um, began to um, say that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, or the Pharisees and the scribes, were really equivalent to the medieval Catholic the Church. Church, yeah. That's yeah. Right, which it, that, that equation doesn't work. They're not comparable in that sense. And therefore, um, it, it, it created a scenario within Protestantism where we're just incredibly scared to death of works and working our way to salvation. Right. But in so we've, we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Now we can't envision works playing any kind of role in God's transformative work in us. As a matter of fact, some people will even will even say that, you know, that uh, it's not even important to to do good works mm -hmm. following God's regeneration and new birth of a person. Once again, sanctification, discipleship, it's not really all that uh, it's not really all that essential, but but Paul had the understanding as did Peter, as did John, that uh, with salvation, with regeneration and new birth, God is actually enabling us now to live back into the good works that we were incapable of doing before. Uh, transformative. Transformative. Right. right, yeah. And that's like with what you were saying for Paul in Galatians, um, you know, the Jewish leaders are essentially saying when you talk about it from a covenantal ver a view of grace, it, they're saying that for you to be part of the people of God, you you first must go through and become do the works of the law, so circumcision, observing Torah, stuff like that, to become part of the Jewish family. And once you're part of the Jewish family, then you're in God's people. But this what they call the new perspective is that the yeah these works of the law were were them you know becoming part of the Jewish people first and that's how you became part of the people of God but really what Paul is saying no that's what's not necessary you don't have to become Jewish to become part of the people of God because through Jesus it's been open to both Jew and Gentile now it's open to participation in whether you are a Jew or a Gentile yeah. and that's the story of God yeah. uh, moving forward so because um, yeah it does create this disconnect then because it's like okay you don't have to do anything to be saved but you should probably do good stuff anyway because it seems. To but be in the end, you don't really says. have to yeah. do that anyway, right? Because because <laughs> uh, salvation is 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 just very narrowly conceived. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I wondered too. I want to hear what you talk about. I know we're getting close to time here, but um, thinking of the term grace because that's what it can come back to a lot of time. We define grace. I mean the the um, <laughs> the probably I would say modern translation of grace is unmerited favor, um, or you can do nothing to be saved. Um, where does that maybe miss the mark a little bit of what New Testament authors mean by grace? Well, and again, I talked about E.P. Sanders a moment ago. Uh, about four, four or five years ago, another landmark New Testament study by John Barclay at the University of Durham wrote a book on grace. Uh, it's, called, uh, it's called The Gift, uh, and it's a study of Paul's use of grace and, and what he meant by it. Again, let, let me just come back and say for folks that are listening, um, salvation is by grace. Right, right. I yeah. mean, there's nothing we can do to merit it. There's mm -hmm. nothing that we can do to earn God's favor. It is, it is pure grace. But one of the things that John Barclay has shown uh, in his great book, and I think he, I just saw the other day he's written a more popular version. So instead of reading the uh, 800 pages, <laughs> read the 150 or something like that. Um, but one of the things that he has shown is that within the first century, Grace, grace was understood a little bit differently. See, to, back in Jesus' day, the relationships worked on, on the law of reciprocity, mm -hmm. um, which meant this, that, that we were in relationship with one another, right? And uh, when we would, when one, one, one of the persons in the relationship would be a benefactor, the other person would be that who was privy to the benefaction. Um, and when one was shown... Uh, benefaction in that sense, it was an act of pure grace, okay? It was an act of grace, but there was this understanding that the one who had though been shown amazing kinds of grace would also reciprocate by giving their loyalty and their allegiance mm -hmm. to the other. 
Um, this is just one area that he talks about in his book, but, but he, t- he talks about it quite persuasively, that, that grace, as Jesus and Paul would have understood it, would have assumed that the recipient of grace would have reciprocated with a kind of loyalty and allegiance that would have been rightly understood and expected in that day. I think that we have misformed or, or malformed our understanding of grace today to suggest that, that, yes, there's nothing that we could do to merit grace. But once we've received that grace, it requires every thing within us. And this is going back to, this is going back to the idea of earning salvation. Dallas Willard said something one time. He said, the issue is not about earning grace when it comes to works. It has to do with effort. The difference between earning and effort. Right. Yeah. I actually have the quote right here. All right, go for it. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. Grace, you know, does not just have to do with forgiveness of sins alone. Indeed. Um, But yeah, and I think that's what, when you sit back and you think of it, you go, okay, duh. I mean, we're both married, and I think if we said, you know, our relationship with our wives is founded on such a love that it requires, you know, it's just all grace. There's no effort. Um, that would be absurd. We'd have, you know, w- our wives wouldn't want to stick around us. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, if we didn't put effort into it. and, and um, But I don't, you know, you don't put if you put effort in just to get a, a reaction or something from your spouse, obviously you're going into it with the wrong motives. But when it's a way and it's motivated by love in a way that brings you both closer together, we'd say, uh, of course, you to love is to, to have effort. Um, so, yeah, and, and I think it was helpful too. Dallas Willard also, he was talking too about this idea of, of a truncated grace, but he said when you understand grace simply as you can do nothing to be saved, then transformation quickly falls to two things, either um, uh, inspiration or information. So <laughs> the inspiration is like uh, kind of a experiential, um, which again, experiences are important along the way, but they aren't necessarily transforming. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're very meaningful in your relationship with God, but not necessarily going to transform. That's, you know, that's a long, long game. Um, anyway, but into a more charismatic type of Christianity, or it's information. So getting the right head knowledge will bring about um, a type of transformation, which I think we, I think maybe that's why spiritual formation is growing because we realize both those models have been tried and found lacking. Um, and I think spiritual formation kind of gives us a third way. But let's talk really practical. We've talked, you know, big idea, what's going on with spiritual formation, how it fits into the biblical story, biblical grounds for it. But let's just talk at a real practical level of our listener, which says, okay, that's really intriguing. How could I maybe start? Um, well, I'll ask you about some resources then too, but even just on a really practical level, like, um, is there, you know, uh, how would you instruct someone who's wanting to get started on understanding the spiritual formation part of their discipleship with Jesus? I would uh, I would encourage that person to get in in touch and get involved and begin to contribute to the to a local church, um, because that's where the that's where the spirit resides. That's where the spirit is working. That's where the spirit is doing his formative work. It's also the spirit's launching pad for mission in the world, and so um, getting together with um, with a, a local congregation of Christians um, and uh, beginning to to give give one's life not just to participate but to contribute to to that life so being a part of the a, a body of believers uh, would be a key um, I think another thing would be to realize that even though you're in a body of believers you need to you need to get together in smaller groups where you can begin to um, explore what this journey is like together um, we're actually trying to do this in our transformation groups where we're coming our transformation groups are groups where at the heart of our life together is asking two questions. How is your life with God this week? Which assumes God's presence mm-hmm. and assumes that God is, is doing something to shape his character in us. So, so how is our life with God this week? And then secondly, how do you see God at work in your life? And how are you uh, responding uh, to his gracious invitation to be a part of what he's doing? That has more of the missional feel. But it's, it, basically, it's, it's, they're questions that, that force us week after week to discern what, God, who, what God's up to in our lives and how we're responding, and then we're coming together to talk about how we're doing that faithfully. Um, and so the, the central question gets us in touch with the fact that, that God is present and he's inviting us to participate in his life. And then in those groups, we're learning to listen to Scripture together, 
We're learning to pray together and we're learning to be involved in mission together because we believe that those three central practices or practices that the church has said are, are the practices that create the conditions in our lives where we see how God is at work in our lives mm-hmm. so that we can respond. And so those become the practices that, that help shape this discernment process. Um, and then the discernment process enables us to, to get involved in what God is doing in our own lives and to get involved in what God is doing um, in, the, in, in the world around us. And so I think, I think that's the silver bullet, I'll be honest with you. Getting together well, with yeah. God's people, immersing yourself in the practices that create the conditions for mm-hmm. us to discern what God's up to in our lives and then providing the kind of gracious and supportive community where, where we help one another live into what that looks like. Yes, personally, but also together. Right. No, and that's great. And there'd be so many, be so many possible tangents we could go on that about, you know, uh, personal things to incorporate into our morning routine and the power of habit and all that kind of stuff. Um, but a quick last question, what would you, um, what about a good resource, a book to pick up to read that could be really helpful uh, when engaging this topic? Yep. Somebody who's writing in this area that, that describes really what I just talked about is David E. Fitch. He wrote a book called Faithful Presence, Seven Disciplines That Shape the Church for Mission. Um, he gets at both of those things that I've talked about, character and mission in that book. It's a really good one. He's working this out in, in small in small church congregational context. He's the one who... Uh, State, went to the same McDonald's for like what seven years. He is. Yeah. Hey, he okay, built yeah. community right there, and so yeah. it's it's a really good read to help you understand these kinds of things. At a personal level, it is a matter of per, uh, of, of habits. Mm-hmm. And uh, a book was written by a lawyer uh, a couple of years ago called The Common Rule. His name is Justin Whitmell Early. Um, this is going to be a book that helps you reorder your life around practices that not only help you recognize God's presence, but help you become more present to him. Because that's that's the real issue here. It's not right. that God's not present in our lives. Right. We're just not attuned to his presence and moving with him. And so that book is is great in helping at the level of personal practices um, and, um, and, and, uh, and yeah, the development of, uh, of habits. Yeah. Okay. No, that's great. Um, and true to our form, we, we are sponsored by Hershberger's Bakery. And we like to give all of our guests a uh, homemade loaf of bread. Right. I will vouch for the bread. It is terrific. I love bread. Um, so it's Thank homemade. You. It's really good. Thank and, you uh, so much. Man, it was great having you on. We could have kept talking for a long time. We could have. But uh, Thank, thank you, you very for much for, for coming on. You're, you're welcome. Thanks for having me.